Welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to our series entitled Rebuild. Uh, we took a week off last Sunday as we featured Back to Church Sunday. But we're back into the book of Nehemiah. Remember, he is the cupbearer to Artaxerxes of Persia, and they are looking to rebuild the wall and the gates of Jerusalem. And this was a process. As we took a look, uh, chapter 1 was the foundation for our future. Chapter 2, we were looking at principles of preparation. How do we prepare for what God's about to do? Last time together, we examined some of the requirements of rebuilding. And so though Nehemiah and the people of Israel, they are rebuilding the walls and the gates around Jerusalem. You might not have a wall. You might not have a gate, but maybe you are looking to allow God to redo, rebuild, refresh something in your own life, in your own household. Uh, perhaps here in the church, we are looking to rebuild and to refresh. And so we're working our way through the book of Nehemiah, some powerful principles for us. We turn to chapter 4, and go ahead and turn there. We'll, we'll work our way through and kind of bounce around the chapter here in a little bit. Chapter 4 opens as they finally are doing the work of rebuilding. But chapter 4 also includes a lot of opposition. Have you ever faced opposition? Have you ever faced difficulties, hardships, trials, challenges, so much so that it felt like you were not able to overcome the obstacles that you were facing? You might not be in the midst of rebuilding a wall, but no doubt many of you are facing challenges and hardships and difficulties, and it feels sometimes like there's too much to overcome. I came across a man by the name of Larry Hanratty. In 2007, he was named by the Los Angeles Times the unluckiest man in California. How many of you would like to have that title bestowed upon you by a major newspaper? Here's why. This poor man nearly died in a construction site accident where he worked. For a number of weeks, he was in a coma with his lawyers literally fighting over his liability claim. One of his lawyers eventually was disbarred. Two of them died suddenly, and the final lawyer ran off with his wife. Not a real good start to your 2007. After he recovered, he did come out of the coma, he was in a terrible car accident. Before the police showed up to the car accident, he was robbed of his cash. Then his insurance company tried to stop the workers' compensation claim that was placed because he almost died on the work site. He came within two days of being evicted from his home. He was suffering from lupus and a lung condition that required him to carry a canister of oxygen. He was taking 42 pills a day for his heart conditions and liver ailments. Finally, the city council came to his aid. His friends rallied around him. And after all of that that had happened in 2007, here's what he said to the mayor. There's always hope. I don't know about you, I would venture to say there's a lot of situations represented in this place. Maybe in some cases it's opposition, in some cases it's just a lot of stuff that seems to be heaped upon your life, your family, your situation, and it feels like there's too much to overcome. 
Like Larry said, and as we're about to see in Nehemiah, I want to encourage you. Though I don't know all of what you're facing today, I want to encourage you that there's always hope. So Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going we're to be looking at how to overcome opposition. How do you overcome the things that you just don't know how to face? Let me challenge you with this first thought. We need to expect discouragement. Now, I know you came and said, Pastor, I'm, I'm here, and I want to be lifted up. We're going to be looking to God. We're going to be looking at His Word. We're going to get some strength from Him. But I want you to understand, we do need to expect discouragement at times. Here's what we read in chapter 4, verse 1. Sanballat, this is one of the opposing forces. He was very angry when he learned we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Drop down to verse 7. Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead. The gaps in the wall in Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. And they made plans to come and to fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Verse 10, then the people of Judah began to complain. Our workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies are saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And the Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Sounds almost a little bit like our introductory story about Larry. It's not just one person in opposition. It's not just a little bit of things to overcome. But you've got multiple people, multiple peoples now coming against you as you're trying to do the work for the Lord, trying to rebuild these walls, trying to rebuild the gates, trying to put back in place what had been done previously. And so you see Sanballat, and then you see Tobiah, and you see all of these individuals speaking out against them, against Nehemiah, against the Jews. Understand this. When you and I are trying to rebuild or renew or refresh what God's wanting to do in our hearts and our lives, you and I can expect some opposition. You and I can expect some discouragement. Because know this, when God is at work... The enemy is also at work. When God's doing something good in your heart and good in your life, the enemy does not want to see it. We see time and again over years of youth ministry and time and again over years of pastoral ministry when you've got young people whose lives God touches at camp or at a special convention, they come home. Sometimes that first week back is literally hell on earth. The enemy saw that God did something in their hearts. God did something in their life. Maybe they responded to God in salvation. Uh, maybe they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Maybe they sensed a call to ministry down the road that God was going to somehow use them in ministry or missions. 
And they come back in their home life, or they come back in their school life, or they come back in their physical life, or relationships, and it just challenges. Maybe adults, you've seen the same thing. God touches your heart. God touches your life. It's a, a special service, a special speaker, or just a, a time alone with God and His presence and His Word. And maybe that next day, or maybe that next day, or maybe that next month, you feel like you're just going up against some challenges and difficulties. Unfortunately, we've got to expect opposition to come, expect for discouragement to come. Here were a whole bunch of rhetorical questions and taunts. They're basically saying, you can't do this. There's no way you'll be able to accomplish it. And even if you were, if a little fox were to pounce upon it, oh, it just crumbled to the ground. You don't know what you're doing. You're weak. You're feeble. Nothing you do is going to be good enough. Opposition on the outside, discouragement on the inside. You ever been there? Opposition on the outside, discouragement based on what you're facing, based on what seems to be confronting you, discouragement on the inside. See, the Israelites here, there was a lot of fatigue. They'd been working. It's taking a bunch of people, but they're working to try to rebuild walls, and, and, and they're trying to raise it up. In fact, we'll see a little bit later, they get to about halfway. And it's taken a lot of work. It's, it's taken several weeks to get about halfway, and they're working, and they're working, and they're working hard. They might not have understood or recognized that speed would ultimately become their greatest enemy. Man, we're going to work, 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 and you work hard, and you work fast, and then you ever just gotten completely tuckered out? That fatigue was beginning to set in in these workers. They began to complain, we're getting tired, and there's still so much rubble. You ever feel like you've been working and working and working and working, and then you look around, and it doesn't look like you've done anything? You ever have one of those projects? Maybe, you, you know, something as simple as trying to clean out a garage or trying to solve a situation of conflict. I mean, you're working, you're working, whether it's the physical work of cleaning the garage or the, the working on situations with people. You feel like you work and work and work and you pause and you look back and it doesn't feel like you've done anything. And no doubt, discouragement is setting in. Yes, things are taking place, but what are their eyes looking at? They're seeing all the rubble that still is to be done. Sometimes you and I, we get our eyes on the wrong things. We, we get our eyes on the rubble rather than the work, rather than the Lord. So they're discouraged because of fatigue. They're discouraged maybe because of frustration. They're saying, there's just too much work to be done. What about this person? Are they doing as much as me? Or what about that person? They're not doing as much as me. Fatigue sets in. Frustration sets in. Then in their mind, they start to wonder, are we going to succeed? They wonder whether there's going to be failure that takes place. Maybe you've wondered that. Can I do what I think I need to do? There's so much that I'm facing. Can I really get it done? The question is not, will you fail? But how do you respond if you do? So all of these questions are facing the Israelites, and probably there's some fear thrown in. You've got 
Tobiah, you've got Sanballat, you've got all these opposing forces. They're literally surrounded by opposition, surrounded by taunts, surrounded by ridicule. And now what are they saying? Oh, we got some people who live near the enemy. And they're saying they're going to come from all sides and attack us. Maybe you've been there. There's some fear. There's some fatigue. There's some frustration that sets in. And you just begin to look at everything that seems to be heaped on your plate in front of you. And you say, how can I do all of this? First of all, understand, expect that there's some difficult times that will come. Jesus himself said in the New Testament, in this world, you will have trouble. And we don't like that promise. We say, I'm going to stand on the promises of God. And we stand on and we claim all of the good ones for us. This is a promise too. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he didn't, he didn't stop there. Remember the end, of the end of the verse? He said, take heart. I've overcome the world. So as it relates to facing opposition, facing difficulty, facing discouragement, expect it. Expect that difficult times will come. Expect that hard times will come. I would venture to say everybody in this room would lift up a hand and say, I faced some aspect of difficulty or hardship or trouble. Coming to Christ doesn't mean that our life is perfect. Coming to Christ doesn't mean it's just smooth sailing and you and I never face a difficulty. Not true. The difference is we have someone who walks with us right in the midst of it. So whatever it is that you're facing, whatever the opposition, whatever that you can't seem to overcome, expect some opposition. Expect some discouragement. But secondly, I want to challenge you to pray boldly. Check this out. Verse 4 and 5, Nehemiah says, Then I prayed, hear us, our God. Stop right there. How many of you, sometimes that is your prayer? You just, you're, you're frustrated, you're fatigued, you're, you're a little fearful, and you just cry out to God, God, would you hear me? I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn, but God, I'm coming to you. He says, hear us, our God. For we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. May they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Listen, you and I know difficulty will come. We can expect difficulty. We can expect discouragement. We can expect some opposition. But expect to handle it in prayer. You and I can't handle it on our own, although we, we sure think we can. Many, many times we turn to ourselves and our physical strength or our mental strength or our connection of strength. Understand you and I can't handle the things we're handling on our own. We've got to handle it with God. Pray boldly and take it to him. As we've worked our way through Nehemiah in just several chapters, he sought God every situation before responding to it. Remember, in chapter 1, he heard of the condition of Jerusalem, and what did it say? He fasted and prayed. He spent time. It was a number of months of prayer and fasting. 
When the king saw his countenance and asked him what was wrong, it says that he prayed to God. It was, it was kind of one of those pauses of prayers to say, all right, God, I've been praying and praying and praying, but I'm just pausing to turn to you. Now what? He was seeking God in prayer. So now as opposition, now as discouragement mounts, what's he doing? He's pausing in prayer. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't strike out at them. He says, God, I'm going to you. Here's what's going on. Here's the difficulties. Here's the challenges and struggles that we're facing. He's going to God in prayer. Sometimes what happens is this. You've heard people say, well, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I, I guess I'll pray about it. I think we've got things a little backwards, don't we? Many times prayer is the last resort rather than our first option. Let's make it the first option and not as the last resort. Before anything took place, Nehemiah prayed, and he prayed boldly, and he prayed and fasted for months. The king spoke to him, and Nehemiah right away prayed to God. And now as opposition comes, they've been working, opposition comes, discouragement comes. He, he prays to God. He says, God, hear us. Help us. Make sure that we bring our needs and our requests, our frustrations, our challenges, our, our heartaches, our sorrows, as well as our blessings. Bring them to God. To overcome the opposition, to overcome the discouragement, to overcome the situations we don't know how to handle, we go to God and we can do so boldly. Now you notice what Nehemiah prayed was rather bold. You and I are probably not surprised that Nehemiah prayed. You and I might be a little surprised at what he prayed. Did you catch that? Hear us, our God. We know that. Okay, I'm praying to you, God, hear me. And what's about to follow are his uh, requests, right? And what does he say? May their scoffing fall back on their heads. May they themselves become captives in a foreign land. This is a pretty bold prayer. In fact, uh, these kinds of prayers have a, a long, fancy name. They're called imprecatory prayers. You can find a whole bunch of these in the book of Psalms. The psalmist, he was irritated and frustrated many times. Certainly, he, fell, uh, he had fallen and sinned, and, and some of his uh, psalms that was written were about God cleansing and forgiving and restoring. But read some of those psalms. I mean, he had some pretty bold, the psalmist was saying, you know, God dash these little kids to, to pieces on the rocks. And you're saying, oh, don't say that. What, what's he saying? Was this out of spite? Was this out of vengeance to say, oh, God, I'm mad, so I want you to hurt them? This, this was really about zeal for the honor and the glory and the name of God. You notice what he said? They've provoked you to anger. Nehemiah didn't say, I'm so mad and fed up. Oh, just get them. He's saying, God, they've provoked you to anger. The things that they're doing, the things that they're saying, we're trying to do this for your honor and for your glory. It's what they're saying and doing. They're really coming against you. So it's an interesting but bold prayer. 
principle isn't about, oh, I'm going to call down curses on everybody that's against me. The principle is, I can take my needs, I can take my request to God, and I can boldly pray. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. There's, there's things that I'm facing physically or financially or relationally or spiritually, and God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn, but I'm coming to you. Let's make sure that we turn to God first. Let's make sure that we turn to God completely. We can pray boldly. Understand, we can expect some discouragement. When we are moving and, and working for the Lord and, and when we're saying, God, I really want you to, to work in my heart and my life, expect there's going to be some, some bumps along the road as the enemy's not happy. Secondly, pray boldly. Thirdly, plan strategically. It's interesting what they did. We're going to, again, bounce around a little bit through this chapter. Verse 6 says, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. That's pretty exciting. This wall around the entire city, it was built halfway, all the way up, all the way around. But drop down to verse 9, it says, We prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves come back to that in a moment. Verse 13, Nehemiah says, I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords and spears and bows. Verse 15, he says, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we returned to work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked and the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall, and the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. I mean, verse after verse after verse, it's a part of this strategic plan. He's saying, listen, we know there's some discouragement. We know that there's some difficulty that's coming our way. First of all, we're going to God, but we're also going to plan. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God, but then we're going to plan. What are some strategic things that we can do? We're going to station people by families. We're going to have part of the people over here and part of the people standing guard. As you're working, you know, you've got uh, your, your trowel in the one hand and your sword in the other. There's this strategic plan that says, because of the opposition, because of who is against us, because of what we're trying to overcome, here's how we believe we can do it. We're praying and seeking God. We're asking God for his help. But in addition to that, here's the plan that we're going to put into place. See, this was a plan from Nehemiah, not just kind of a haphazard guess. He began to allocate some of those resources that he had. We're going to place families over here. We're going to reorganize them into some work teams, perhaps. Some are going to work. Some are going to stand guard. You're going to have a, you know, a sword in one hand and a work tool in the other. Oh, and I'm going to have a trumpeter near me in case we need everybody's help. Sound the alarm. Sound the trumpet. It's a plan. There's a strategy in place. That plan comes after you seek God. Sometimes we, we try to reverse this. We, we get faced with a, a difficulty, right? And then, you know, sometimes we become Mr. or Miss Fix-It. 
So we, we get hit with the problem, with the situation, whatever it is, physical, financial, relational, spiritual, and immediately we start saying, well, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And we jump into the plan before we have prayed. Nehemiah, Nehemiah faced it properly, right? Nehemiah was praying to God. He was praying boldly. He'd been praying all the way through. He continued to do so, but he wasn't just praying. He was planning. He wasn't just planning. He was praying. Sometimes we think it's an either or. That, well, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray. And if God wants it to happen, well, it's going to happen. There's that side. Pray and trust in God. And on the other hand, some of the people are saying, well, I'm just going to work and I'm going to work and I'm going to work. And if God is against it, then he'll just let me know somehow. We've got to put them both in the into practice. Pray and seek God because God's going to quicken our minds and give some of the plan and give some of the strategy, but it's praying in conjunction with planning. It's not either or, it's both and. I particularly like that verse I mentioned, verse 9. It says, we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. We did both. We sought God. We prayed to God. God, we know you can help. We know you can protect. We know you can guide. We know you can give wisdom. But at the same time, we're going to work. And we're going to put some plan. And we're going to put some strategy into this. So understand, we're going we're to expect some discouragement and difficulty in our life. But we can pray boldly. We can pr- plan strategically. And then fourthly, let's circle back around to God. Remember God. Verse 14, Then as I looked over the situation, I called the nobles together and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Let me stop right there. Let me say that one more time. Don't be afraid of the enemy, but remember the Lord. I want you to think about whatever the situation is that you are facing right now. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. What are we going to remember? Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Then I explained, verse 19, to the nobles and officials and the people, the work is spread out and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. So verse 20, when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding and check out his last phrase, then our God will fight for us. Remember God. Don't don't just pray to God and say, well, I I offered up a prayer. I said something. I don't know that anything's happening, so let me just do it on my own. No, we're going to pray. We're going to seek God boldly, yes. And then put some plans and put some strategy in place. Put some feet to our prayer, if you would. But don't forget about. Don't neglect God. Remember him. He's great. He's glorious. And he is the God who will fight for you. He is the God who is able to work on your behalf. You need a healing in your body or in a family member's body? I can't heal. You can't heal. But God can. Remember his healing power. You've got a financial need. You're not sure how it can be met. Remember God. Turn to 
trust in God. He's bigger than anything than you and I face. No doubt these Israelites, again, they're, they're working. It says they'd gotten it up to about half of its height. But then they saw all the rubble. Their eyes seemed like they were on the rubble more so than God because they were wondering. They were fearful. They were discouraged. They were frustrated. Their eyes perhaps were more on the rubble than on the God that they served. Take our eyes off of the fear and focus on God. Take your eyes off the situation. It seems so large. It seems, you know, it's, it's dominating your vision, right? It seems like it's right in front of you, and it seems so big. Would you step away from it just a little bit? And now take a glimpse at how big God is. Sometimes we're, we're in the midst of a situation. It's, it's almost as if you've, you've kind of put your eyes up to the glass of whatever you're looking at. And, and because your eyes are up to the glass, that object seems so massive, so huge, you can't handle it. You can't overcome it. Well, if you step back from it a little bit, not only does it not seem quite as large, maybe your perspective changes a little bit, and you begin to contemplate how big your God is, how mighty God is, how strong, how loving, how kind. How powerful God is to help overcome whatever situation you might be facing. Corey Ten Boom, suffered in the Nazi death camp, explained how to overcome discouragement by focusing on God. Her quote was this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. I like that. We can get so wrapped up in looking at the world, looking at our difficulties, looking at our situations, and we say, well, I've prayed. And we say, well, I've got a plan. Sometimes we pray and then we kind of walk away from God as if, well, God's just not moving anymore. Remember God. Remember his care. Remember what he is able to do. Remember his faithfulness in the past. I'd venture to say, You've probably got a testimony of what God has done in your life. Physical, financial, relational, spiritual, or otherwise. Would you take a, a look back? Take a trip down memory lane and remember the faithfulness of God. The same God who was faithful then is the same God able to be faithful now. Remember his faithfulness in the past. Remember his closeness and his presence to you in the present. We face the difficulties, we face the hardships and trials and struggles, and many times what we feel is we're going through it alone. Listen, no matter how many people check in on you or no matter how many family members or co-workers or classmates or whatever your situation might be, many times you and I still feel we're facing it alone. Remember his presence. He's with you. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 23 he said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Remember his faithfulness in the past. Remember his, his presence with you in the present. Remember the power that he has for you in the future. The scripture says he's mighty, he's powerful, he's great, and he's glorious. He can handle anything that you or I come across. Remember, remember, 
remember. Then finally this morning, these last several verses of chapter 4 encourage us to work united. Verse 21 says that we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. That was some joined and united work together. It's an interesting plan, interesting strategy, but they were doing it and uniting together. Many times we try to handle the enemy, we try to handle the opposition, the discouragement, the difficulty, the hardships, the struggles, and we try to handle it on our own. Nehemiah said, I can't do this on my own. Certainly, the work to rebuild the wall is it's going to be a pretty big task. We need to work on it together. But in addition to the task, the opposition, the challenges, the hardship, the struggles, they are working together early and late, sunrise to sunset. Some are on guard. Some are working. They're not even taking their clothes off. They're, they're working. They're ready. They're prepared. They've got the weapon. Even when they go to get water. They had each other's back. They were working together. We saw in verse 6, a number of minutes ago, it says, we built the wall. It says the people had a mind to work. This was a job that they were jumping in together, a group project. They were coordinating. They were cooperating. It was community. Everyone relied upon everyone else. So we said week number one, we we. Took you briefly, there were a whole bunch of gates around the city and then many, many different uh, lengths of walls that needed to be worked on. Family after family, group after group was working together to build this wall back up. And they were working together to face the opposition, to face the hardship, to face the difficulties, and to face the challenges. Nehemiah was reaching out to connect with others that they would also connect with him. It's important to have other people in our lives to encourage. Hopefully in the body of Christ, it's more than just hopefully your immediate family, but consider your assembly of God and the people of God as an extension of your family to pray with, to encourage, to believe with God on your behalf. Now finish where we started. Remember Larry, the man we started off with as the unluckiest man in California in 2007. Well, as Paul Harvey would say, let me give you the rest of the story. Even though he had one year of very bad circumstances, it never stopped him from doing what he did best. He was a deacon in his church, and he helped others out in time of need. Everywhere he went in town, he was known as Hope because he always told people, there's always hope. He did die on December 25th from liver complications. But at his funeral, there wasn't enough room for everyone who wanted to pay respects to his life. In fact, he was more productive in the last year of his life, which was most difficult. 
In that year, it was estimated by his church, he visited over 180 families, gave hope to those who were shut in, and touched more lives with AIDS and the local hospice where he volunteered every single week. On his tombstone, it simply reads, there's always hope. There's always hope. I know there's difficulties and challenges and hardships and and troubles and trials and tribulations represented in this place and by some watching or listening online. But know this, there is always hope. Nehemiah and the people of Israel faced difficulties and hardships and challenges, but there was hope. They understood they needed to expect some discouragement and expect some opposition, but they prayed boldly, they planned strategically, they remembered that God was with them, and then they worked together. They worked united.